Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the air freight market with my friend, Eric Kulish. How's it going, Eric? Great, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for being here. So, Eric, I've probably a lot of you are saying the same thing. Maybe you don't even know who, you, who you're who you reading, but you're reading his articles over at Freightways. So, Eric, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're at today. Yeah, Eric Kulish. I'm the air cargo editor at Freightwaves. As your audience probably knows, Freightwaves is a, a logistics media company covering the, the soup to nuts, the whole sector from trucking to international trade. And we also have a, a major freight data segment with sonar data and, and real-time data about, you know, trucking capacity and rates and spot rates and also ocean and air data that, uh, you know, kind of allows people, decision makers to make, uh, you know, real-time decisions on, on how to move their shipments. Yep. Now, I haven't asked lately, but uh, I remember years ago, I had Craig Fuller on and he said, yeah, we do about 25, 30 articles per day. <laughs> and that, and since then, I got to think with all the acquisitions, I don't know if you can speak to the number there, but it's got to be an enormous amount of content that you guys create. I mean, it is. It's a huge amount of content. I would say at least 30 articles a day from the team, but you know, there's, there's the, the podcasts, there's the daily streaming TV shows, there's the, um, you know, um, newsletters, you know, customer or, you know, community newsletters for automotive. The email list is enormous. I don't, somebody told me years ago, I won't quote it, but it was enormous amount of numbers on that. And I just had Tim Dooner on the podcast and, or just Dooner, I don't know if I'm allowed to say Tim, but I said, the last time I talked to him, he had like, they said 13 podcasts. When I talked to him the other day, he said, no, we have 20 20 podcasts. So it's a it's a juggernaut. And I say this all the time when I have the Freightways folks on. It's 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 hard to remember a time before Freightways was there. And they've only been around, I don't know, four or five years, but it just it, it's almost like an inflection point in the media for this industry because the other stuff was kind of uh not to be critical, but it was a monthly thing. You get that monthly magazine in the mail and you open it up and there's articles written, but they're a month old. Yeah. This is a business that is hourly. This is a business where up to the minute information is required. And that's exactly what you get from FreightWaves, not only on the media side, but also on the data side. Yeah, for sure. The, the data is, uh, you know, much fresher than than most places or that was used to be in the past. So that's one thing. And then on the, you know, I'm on the editorial side where we, you know, we're the pure journalism side where we're trying to, you know, put out news quickly, but also analyze it and give it that, you know, context. And, you know, there's freight waves kind of more domestically oriented. And then there's the American shipper brand where I spend a lot of time on covering air, but we also have, you know, ocean coverage, you know, supply chains overall, and then also modern shipper, which kind of covers that e-commerce and, uh, you know, the, the new online, you know, sales space. 
if it moves, Freight Waves is writing about it and probably collecting <laughs> data on it. And, you know, we didn't even talk about it. You guys do obviously do some of the best events in the business, too. There's always another Freight Waves event coming up. Yeah, there's <laughs> so a big, uh, we'll, big we'll Freight talk- Waves Supply Chain Summit, uh, Future of Supply Chain coming up in uh, uh, in May in Northwest Arkansas. Oh, nice. I knew, yeah. I knew eventually Northwest Arkansas would arrive. Freightways is coming. <laughs> well, there's some you forget, know, big players there. I think Walmart's in well, forget, area, forget Walmart and Tyson and J.B. Hunt. I mean, now they got Freightways coming down. Right. That's fantastic. I'm actually interviewing Donnie Williams, one of the professors from University of Arkansas, coming up here. And I just talked to him for an hour the other day on the phone. Anyway, well, before I forget, Eric, well, before we hit record, I mentioned the difference between a blogger, like someone like myself, who I used to do a lot of blogging, and I'd, I was proud if I could do one article per week. And then I was talking to you. <laughs> you told me, I said, how many articles did you write last week? And you said, nine. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, that's more than one a day if you work every single day. I mean, it, it varies, Joe. You know, sometimes uh, the, there's news popping and you try and get something out quickly. And then there's other times where you're trying to work in depth on a story for a couple of days so you can really dive into it or, or research the nuances and make sure you have everything accurately. So, you know, I, I spent a couple of days. I didn't write anything on Wednesday because I was dive, you know deep into a story kind of a big uh, profile and analysis. So it just varies, but uh, yeah, it's just a constantly, there's so much news. There was always a lot of news in this space. And then the pandemic turbocharged everything. It seemed like, you know, because supply chains were changing so much, everyone wanted to know what the new dynamic was. And so that ramped things up. And now it's ramping up again with Ukraine. So it's just a lot to stay on top of. And you mentioned research. That's where the bar gets really high. So as a blogger, I can say, Oh, yeah, I did the research. And what a blogger means when he says, I did the research is I Googled it and I probably found a Freightways article, cut and pasted, moved that over and said, my research was <laughs> according to Freightways. That, that, so, yeah, I'm amazed at the content you guys are able to create. By the way, I, I don't know all the writers over at Freightways, but I've always read your stuff. And there's another guy. What's his name? Maybe. Um, oh, I don't know. University of Michigan guy like me. <laughs> so anyway, before we get into the topic, which is the air freight market, tell us a little bit about you, Eric. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you joined Freight Waves. Sure, Joe. I grew up in Northern Virginia, Arlington, right outside Washington, D.C. Very nice. My, I came from an international background. My mother's Greek and my father was German. Oh, wow. Yeah. Went to a Private high, when ninth grade, I went to a private school for a couple of years and I don't know, got tired of it, went to the public school for 11th grade, didn't do as well as I should have, kind of clashed with some teachers. So I went back to the private school for 12th grade and um, my senior year, and that allowed me to get into the University of Virginia. That's a top school. Yeah, it is. Down in Charlottesville, a great, great institution. And uh, I started studying foreign affairs there took Middle East studies as a minor and spent a summer, you know, I was studying Arabic too, and spent a summer in Jordan um, my junior year um, studying Arabic, got deathly sick with salmonella there, but uh, no problem, you know, survived that, came back and got a job working at the Saudi Arabian embassy in Washington, D.C. in their press now do you, office. Now, do you speak, do you speak Arabic? Shoya. 
Does that mean a little? <laughs> that means a little. Yeah. Actually, I don't really speak much. It's a very difficult language. Oh, yeah. Pick, picking it up at age 20 or so is difficult and, and I didn't stay on top of it. So I know a few words now and it's a fascinating language and part of the world. But uh, no, I, I, I unfortunately didn't keep up with it. Mom and dad teach you any of the Greek or any of the um, German? Yeah, I can speak a little bit of Greek, you know, I, I, that comes to me a little more naturally. Uh, again, pretty, pretty much of a hack at it, but uh, I, I can, once I go, if I go there or I'm around someone, I kind of pick it up a little bit. So, um, yeah, so then at the Saudi embassy, we in the press office, you know, when I started kind of picked up my, you know, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, you know, fl excitement for journalism, where we, we kind of monitored the U.S. press for the diplomats there. You know, we had a kind of a command center with, we recorded all the TV newscasts and got all the newspapers and did little news summaries and analysis of how the media was covering news about the Middle East. And, and so that was fun for several years. And after that, I tried to go be a freelance journalist, which was tough and did substitute teaching and finally landed at a couple of publications on the ground floor, worked my way up. And finally, what were you writing about? It was a defense industry publication and then an IT publication. And, you know, eventually I landed at Transport Topics, which your audience is familiar with covering yep. trucking. And I was the main logistics reporter. So I was there for a couple of years. And then American Shipper knocked on my door and I went to American Shipper for you know, more than a decade when I covered ports and intermodal and the whole range of uh, transportation issues. And after many years there, I, I switched over and went to Automotive News near Neck of the Woods up in Michigan, yep. although I was their Washington correspondent. So I covered a lot of the regulatory stuff for a couple of years. There's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then I left there and then um, I noticed American Shipper got bought by Freight Waves um, in 20, I think it was 2018, 2019. And like within two months after that, I got hired by Freight Waves and kind of came full circle with American, you know, back on board with American Shipper. So I've been there ever since, kind of focused on air cargo mostly, but I'm um, also covering other supply chain issues. Yeah, it, it seems as if you picked the right time because it... You know, this one state industry, like I, I think about this, if you were to go back 20 years ago, warehousing, trucking, logistics, those were just really, they were boring businesses. Nobody was, there wasn't a lot of tech for it. So that, so it's having the tech guys get involved, that makes things a little more interesting, but then also the private equity. And then during the pandemic, the whole world is looking at logistics and supply chain. I had Jim Tompkins on my podcast. He's been around forever in logistics and supply chain. He's done really well, written books and all that. And he said, after 50 some years of marriage, his wife said to him during the pandemic, now I know what you do. Because <laughs> he just said, I'm a supply chain practitioner. And she's like, mm -hmm, whatever. <laughs> and my sister just said that to me. She said, I never knew what people meant by supply chain. I was like, yep, you don't notice it till it's gone. You don't notice the truck didn't get there. And it wasn't important until it didn't show up. Anyway, so so I want to talk to you today. When we were when we were prepping, I talked to you, I don't know, it seems like three weeks or a month ago. We talked about a whole bunch of different topics. And really, I wanted to get just, you know, your two cents on the air freight market. Because if there is, most of us don't work in it day to day. 
We know it's expensive. We know we move stuff once it's been on a plane, but most of us aren't involved with moving stuff by plane. So talk a little bit about the different types of players that move freight through the air. Yeah. I mean, there's so many stakeholders um, in the supply chain and in, in the air logistics sector. You know, you have the shippers that have the goods, you have the, the freight forwarders. Yep. They're the ones that typically are the customers of the airlines. They, you know, make those arrangements. They have the capacity arrangements ahead of time. And and you've got then you've got the drayage or trucking companies that shuttle from the, the forwarders warehouses to the to the airports to the airlines and then you know it's all in reverse on the at the destination side and then within the air carrier market you've got you know so many players you know you've got passenger airlines that carry freight in the in the bellies of their planes yep. underneath the seats and then you've got all cargo carriers like Atlas Air that just have you know a whole fleet of, of different. They're one of the biggest, right? Yep, they're the biggest. They're the biggest uh, with, uh, especially with the seven four seven fleet. So you have those types of carriers. Then you have hybrid carriers or combination carriers like a Lufthansa or a Cathay Pacific that have big passenger fleets, but then they also have these freighter divisions separately that they run, and you know are some of the biggest players. When you say freighters, that actually means they take the seats. They might move. They might take the seats out of a plane at that, some point and put freight on there. Yeah, a freighter is is usually so there could be a production freighter built from scratch. So there's no seats ever involved. You can get those from Boeing, um, and, and more recently, uh, Airbus is getting back into that area. So you can get a brand new freighter. They're more expensive. You know, majority or a large amount of the, the freighters that are out there are converted. They're they're converted. Older passenger planes that have used up their life in the passenger industry, they're on the secondary market. And, you know, at the right price, you can buy them and often leasing companies will buy them and then they'll, you know, retrofit them. They'll strip out all the seats. They'll cut out and put in a big wide cargo door so the pallets can go in. They'll, you know, strip out the flooring and reinforce it with, you know, heavy steel so you can put... um, you know, containers on that main deck where the passengers used to be. You'll put a rigid barrier in front of the cockpit so cargo doesn't slide and crush the pilots. Um, you know, you'll block out the windows. You'll put in a cargo handling system or a, a pulley system to, to move. And so it's so those are that's what a that's a big is. retrofit. Exactly. So those those planes might be. I'm, how old do you think they are when they stop being moving passengers? You know, it varies, um, but. 18, 20, 20 some, right. 23 years old when they're older. But we've seen with the pandemic, with you know some of the airlines re- retiring planes sooner because they had to downsize and, and shut down and, and try and get to more efficient planes. That now there's more, you know, more there's newer planes that you can get at a pretty good price that are you know kind of idle or might not come back. So there's the pipeline is 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 there for newer aircraft. So, so those of us who are consumers or flying on commercial planes, we don't want to get into a plane that's twenty years old. That was, if somebody says, "Hey, that's this is a, this is this is our last flight," you know, this plane's been a, a a loyal servant for the last twenty-two years. You'd be like, "Let me off! I don't want that. I want to be on a new plane, right?" But those guys who were retrofitting it, they don't have to. You know, as soon as they retrofit it, now it's. Uh, now they just have to impress the um, people who are moving that freight. 
Right. Yeah, it's good to do. Yeah. So they they obviously know what they're doing. So they've uh, they know what they're uh, they're up against. So what's another kind of pl- plane that they're flying besides those? Well, yeah, and then you've got some other players. You've got you know some companies. Then and you got leasing companies that have the the planes. You have you have some companies that will you know. Then there's some airlines will where some of these cargo operators will fly for airlines. So let's say I'm a, a passenger airline and I don't really want to operate my own freighters, but I need some extra capacity. You know, I'll I might charter or, or you know long term rent the planes from an Atlas Air or Air Transport Services Group. Well, they'll come in and fly under my brand name or under my um, bill of lading or whatever. They'll fly for me. I think I'm buying, you know, United's cargo product, but it's actually being flown by some other carrier. And freight forwarders will sometimes charter whole entire airplanes for themselves right. to, to make sure they have enough capacity. And you're seeing a lot more of that um, happening uh, during the pandemic because there's such a need. You, know, you don't want to be caught short. So you're trying, you want to, you'll just take the whole plane for your customers. Right. And and you said something about having the capacity early on in our conversation here. So are freight forwarders, are they buying capacity on a plane prior to needing it and just saying, I am assuming based on, you know, some of what we're seeing, we're going to need this much space. So we're going to get seven planes for next, for the next six months. Yeah. I mean, that's generally, yeah. So it's just like ocean freight. I mean, there's a spot market and then there's, you know, some of this pre-purchasing. So, you know, if you have customers uh, with a heavy flow of cargo on a certain trade lane, you know, in the past, you would, you know, get these block space agreements and take a chunk of a plane, you know, and, and kind of have that reserved space. And you, you know, you had to pay for it whether you used it or not, but at least you had it. And, and if you did your, you know, your due diligence, you would get most of that filled, right? So it'd be a good deal for the forwarder. And then every now and then you charter a plane. But like I said, during the pandemic, there's been a huge right. increase in, in chartering entire planes because, you know, you need that capacity. There's so much demand. The the capacity is down because the passenger airlines aren't flying as much. So there's been this huge demand where people are spending a million dollars, a million and a half dollars for a one-way trip on a, with a plane, you know, to get from Asia to the U.S., let's say. So, you know, it kind of varies on what your needs are. And, and then sometimes you'll be in the spot market. But, you know, that's becoming riskier these days. Right. I interviewed Neil Jones Shaw from, uh, Flexport. you know him, right? Over at yep. Flexport. Yep. yep. And I, I seem to remember him saying that there's certain planes where they might have seats in them, but they also have the ability to take the seats out and actually move freight, freight in those kinds of planes. And I, th- I forgot what he called them. Yeah, those are what we call cargo-only planes or, or praters for short. Praters, you know, kind of a right. take for between passenger and freighter, you know, or a, a mini freighter. And that was kind of a, that was kind of an adaptation that came out of the pandemic when, you know, the whole air, air aviation system basically, you know, shut down because nobody was traveling and they were all the restrictions. We weren't traveling for work, but there was more of a need for cargo to move. Right, but cargo, but then because more than 50% of the global capacity of uh, air cargo capacity flies on the bellies of passenger planes, now you have this huge amount of 
void in, in capacity and, and shippers are desperate to move. Well, I didn't realize that that much. So 50% of all air freight is in the belly of passenger planes. I did At not least, know uh, that. Pre, pre-pandemic. I, I think it's closer to 55%, but yeah. So when my bag's in, and when my bag's a little like five pounds too heavy, they're like, Joe, get this thing off here. We got four tons of we got four tons of stuff moving in the belly of this. We can't have you packing an extra two sweaters. Exactly. So you know, so that all went away, and but there was this huge need for you know as manufacturing kind of started up to to move things, and then just huge demand for moving PPE and medical supplies and so forth. So you know, there weren't enough freighters. There's just not enough freighters in the world to do that. So a lot of the airlines that you know gave second thought to cargo, turned around these passenger planes and put them into use as cargo planes. And for the most part, those were just planes that were, you know, they weren't as efficient as a full freighter and the, the cargo would just go in the belly still, but they would operate them because the, the they could operate them because the rates were super high and fuel prices had plunged, right? So you could still make a good uh, dollar on those flights. And then some of the, some airlines started getting more creative Air Canada and a bunch of others where they took some planes and they stripped the seats out. They were like, you know, let's use this extra capacity on the passenger deck. We can't put a container in here or, you know, giant, you know, auto, uh, you know, engines or something super heavy. But a lot of this is light boxes of face masks or e-commerce stuff. We can just put these boxes on here. And um, but it's it's a little more it's less efficient because you got to hand load it through the narrow door. So. It's a little ragtag. Yeah. So we got all these different kinds of planes that I get. And and so when I'm, I also remember Neil, Neil Jones shot from Flexport saying that during the pandemic, they had to make some big bets. I don't know if they called, he said big bets, but they would go to Atlas. And I think Atlas is one of the companies they work with and said, we want to buy this much capacity. It was a lot, a lot of money that they were spending millions of dollars on getting capacity really with the thought that. I'll be able to resell that. I mean, and so it struck me that that. Yeah, and they they were they were out front. Uh, you know, they saw early on that the pandemic was going to you know kind of restructure, or rearrange you know kind of shipping patterns for at least you know right two for a years while or more. So they were they were pretty quick in, in getting some of these uh, more of these block space agreements, and they signed with Atlas for a couple of planes to be kind of their own private. You know. It's basically Flexport's private airline, you know, Atlas runs it, but they're the ones that make all the decisions on what routes to fly, you know, the frequency and so forth. So they've got this private air, airline with Atlas. They, they're going to add another plane later this year. And one interesting development that kind of ties into what we were just talking about with Flexport is they, they're going to start very soon operating an, a, another private airline with a company called Eastern Airlines. And they've got an interesting business model because they're not they're not kind of doing this temporary passenger freighter operation. They're doing kind of a permanent passenger plane where they they're like their model is like it's too expensive to do a full conversion. You know, you know, do all the metal cutting. It costs a lot of money. The demand's here now. And by the way, so much of the freight that's going now is e-commerce. It's cell phones. It's face masks. It's you know light stuff, you know, we don't need to do that conversion. We can put, we can just, you know, have these freighters with the streets, with the, you know, with the the seats stripped out, convert them in, in, you know, a third, you know, 
couple weeks just by stripping out the seats. And we can have this kind of e-commerce type of e-commerce express service. So, so um, Flexport's doing that. So they're, they're just a very innovative company on a lot of fronts. Right. Well, and one of the things that it struck me is, you know, when, when if I haven't done a ton of freight forwarding, but when I was still in the third party logistics space, I remember occasionally having to send stuff by air or by um, ocean and not fully understanding the process other than there's a lot of paperwork and it's not cheap. But these companies are really, if you're working with a larger company and Flexport's not the only big company, these are the ones who are able to make these um, big investments is what they are, right? Assuming that they say, I'm going to get this much of this much capacity. So that doesn't mean that the little guys can't help you, but it would seem that there'd be some advantage to the bigger guys when when push comes to shove. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a combination of size and but also expertise and contacts and um you know those guys can just have the the arrangements and the relationships if they need something quicker they can they can get it. I mean, for instance, Flexport, not to talk about them all the time, but they were they they just flew a few weeks ago McDonald's in was running out of french fries in Japan because the oh no yeah they were getting <laughs> potatoes from Canada but the port of Vancouver in in Canada was kind of cut off from rail and trucking by a massive flooding there a couple months ago right so, so those, those ocean shipments couldn't get to Japan so Flexport you know arranged with a carrier to get up an entire plane and ship all these these spuds to Japan uh, on an expedited basis God bless you, Flexport and McDonald's. <laughs> so one of the other things um, I want to talk to you about, and you're talking about the value versus the volume plane on air air cargo. So that is a shocking stat. So share what you told me when we were prepping. Yeah, so the, the common statistic that uh, some of the air cargo associations, you know, put out there is that the total value of international trade that moves by air cargo is about you know 33% but the, the volume of trade that moves by air is only 1% so it's just tells you that you know for the most part really expensive you know, stuff yeah, <laughs> high value stuff stuff that's you know has a short shelf life that's perishable that needs to get to market quickly you know whether it's you know apple having a new you know launch of a you know, a cell phone product um, that they need to get to market for a for a for a new um, for a new launch date, or you know, vaccines or or medicines, you know, um, automotive parts to keep uh, from an assembly line from shutting down. You know, yeah. food, seafood. So for sure, chips. Yeah, uh, semiconductor chips. Yep. And and mobile phones, as you mentioned, vaccines. Um, we, we're when we're prepping, we're talking about anything that is um, like you know, if you're getting a lung transplant, medical type stuff like that is always going to be air. I want to wait for four days while that uh, those lungs come across the country in a truck. I know locally it doesn't matter. You know, again, there's uh, but uh, we're talking international for sure. All the all the vaccines moved. Sometimes high fashion goods too will move. You know, if you have something that's you know got to be there for the spring season, it's kind of a high fashion right. or stylish. perishable. Yeah, it's right, exactly right. Yeah, so that really does tell you something. Thirty three percent about let's just say thirty three percent, 
and it's only 1% of the volume. So it's, it's, again, it's this, this is, this is important stuff that's flying. Not that the stuff on the ocean's not important, but, uh, if you're shipping it, spending that extra money, it's obviously pretty important, which we gets us to the next topic I want to talk to you about, which was the expediting. And I know that has been um, a big thing during the pandemic. And when we're prepping, you talked about, you know, how we had to expedite a lot of auto stuff during, uh, I don't know, the, the uh, what do they call it? The convoy in Canada stopped up the bridges. <laughs> right. Yeah, there was the... Um the trucker protests uh, that, you know, kind of blocked the entrance to the ambassador bridge between uh, Detroit and Windsor, Canada. So that's, a, a, you know, I think the largest commercial trade lane um, in North America or maybe the world. And I think it's, yeah, it might be the world. Yeah. And that pipeline was shut off for, you know, a week or more. And so as we reported, you know, some of the, the automakers and suppliers, you know, one of the methods they kind of did workarounds, at least to keep some of the assembly lines going, uh, was to, you know, get these hotshot expedited, you know, cargo carriers. Windsor to Detroit. <laughs> you, know, f- you know, flying from, uh, you know, Willow, you know, from Canada or, or vice versa, Willow Run Airport, which I think is near Detroit and some of these other smaller yeah, airports it's back co- and forth. Kind of closer to Ann Arbor, but it's not far from Detroit. It's probably 20 yeah. minutes, half hour. But, you know, anyway, hopping the border and, you know, and it, and some of these carriers aren't, you know, your big name carriers like we've been talking about. There's some small outfits out there flying, you know, Learjets or Falcon 20s or old DC-9s. And so these companies were, you know, are, are used to when, you know, you need a hotshot service and they were put into use uh, for a while there. And, you know, and then we talked about the McDonald's example last year when there was huge COVID outbreaks uh, in Vietnam, for example, and factories were were shut down for long stretches uh, for quarantining. When they kind of reopened, Nike and others were desperate to get the goods here in time for the for the holidays. So there was a huge demand for freighters and, and these cargo only jets, uh, planes to, you know, expedite the, those shipments. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm in Michigan and I've, I've taken those, br- the bridge, the, the ambassador bridge to Canada and back and forth a, a million times. You know, it's interesting. We have a tunnel that goes between Detroit and Windsor and they, I, I don't know. I don't know if they don't have a lot of truck traffic. I never paid attention, but I'm thinking trucks don't go down that tunnel. Yeah, I think it, I don't think it's big enough for the own, I think you can get like, um, you know, like a parcel delivery size truck, but nothing bigger. Yeah. And, and then, you know, we're building a brand new bridge between Canada and and Detroit. It's, I think it's, they're going to call it the Gordie Howe Bridge. And I think actually Canada is financing that one. The United States and Michigan couldn't get their act together, but Canada did. And I think they're funding it. And I think they also, there's a toll, so they're going to get their money back at some point. But that's another interesting thing. The Ambassador Bridge, which I think is the most traveled border for commerce anywhere, that's privately owned. The guy, uh, Manny Maroon, owned it. And he just passed away. He was probably 90-some. But he owned Central Transport, and his family still does own that. So it's interesting to have a, a bridge owned by an individual. I know Warren Buffett used to say all the time, I would love to own that bridge. <laughs> he never never made the move, though. Yeah, no, he's not happy about his monopoly being, um, <laughs> being you know, kind of uh, knocked down with this extra bridge. Yeah, he always talks about he always talks about it. What I want is a toll bridge, and that actually is a toll bridge. So, 
yeah, and it's funny. I have a lot of friends that I used to work with who are back, who live in Canada, who work in Detroit. I don't know what they did during that time. I haven't talked to any of them lately, but uh, that had to be a crazy time. And same vice versa. There's a lot of people who are working, who are from Michigan, who work in in uh, Canada. Because I know, like, I went over the minivan plant a million times. It's uh, right over in Windsor. Anyway, so we talked a little bit about the types of planes and the type of players, and you talked about the volume. We talked a little bit about expediting and why that got so important. And that brings us to the pandemic and the port congestion, um, which caused <laughs> a lot of problems. So talk a little bit about that impact on air, the air cargo market, air freight market. Yeah, I mean, you know, the ocean market and the ports are get the lion's share of the attention on the mainstream media as far as the you know, the supply chain disruptions uh, that you see with the port, the ships backed up at uh, a lot of the big ports. But, you know, there's some of the same effects you're seeing in the on the air side as well. And and it all stems kind of back to the beginning of the pandemic because all the normal supply chain patterns were just thrown out of whack and and the right. demand just went out the roof as people spent their money on on things and bought stuff online. And, and then we had that huge demand uh, for critical supplies and, you know, PPE and so forth. And so what you saw was, you know, this huge increase of, of these of freighter movements and these cargo-only jets. And as I mentioned, these cargo-only planes take a lot longer to unload um, because you have to do it manually with right. hand loading. And so that's that's labor intensive, but you had a lot of layoffs in the ground handling companies at the airports uh, because a lot of the business went away with the with the passenger airlines and then you had covid restrictions or people you know staying away because of covid and hiring was difficult and then and then on top of it you had these these 747 uh, Boeing 747s and these 777 freighters and other freighters coming in in much higher levels whereas before you know a lot of the cargo came in more piecemeal or because some of it came in broken up in these in, in the passenger airlines with an occasional freighter, the the ground handling companies could kind of handle it. But now it was coming in in tidal waves of these freighters, just, you know, a pipeline of freighters constantly coming in and just overwhelm these ground handling companies. So you'd have large backups with, you know, it would take days to get your freight retrieve from a from a ground handling or from an airport cargo terminal a week to two weeks in Chicago, for instance. So it got to be difficult. Uh, some of that eased up, but you, you're starting to see problems like that reappearing. You have problems like that over in China and other parts of the world when you have COVID outbreaks and, and they clamp down on, on restrictions with labor and so forth. So it's just been a, um, you know, a big, a big congestion problem there. So when somebody made the move away from the ocean freight to get the air freight because they said this will get us past the the log jam, it didn't necessarily get you past the. It was probably still better than the ports, right? But that's been that's been also one of the secondary or knock on effects of all this disruption is that a lot of the you know air cargo is is picked up a lot is or is getting a lot of diversion from ocean shipping because ocean shipping is so uh, long. There's so many backlogs. It can, you know lead times are, you know, triple to 90 or 100 days and people can't wait. So they've they've shifted some of that to, to air cargo. But of course, now, you know, that's put a strain on air cargo because as we talked about, the capacity is limited. And so 
you know, it just led to elevated rates and everyone trying to get creative uh, to, to move stuff by air. But that's one one of the the effects too. Yeah, that's yeah, and talk of also. I mean, I think at the same time that we had the port congestion and and the problems with you know stuff being diverted and now all, all of a sudden congestion with the planes. That was also when we went hog wild buying stuff on via e-commerce. And so they've seen enormous growth in that, right? Yes. I mean, e-commerce has been one of the huge drivers. I mean, I think, you know, it depends who you talk to, but a lot of the e-commerce analysts and air cargo analysts say that, you know, the amount of, so the e-commerce market has grown or been pulled forward by three to five years. I mean, we are now with, with volumes where we would have been in 2026 or so, you know, that's how far it's accelerated. And so everyone's trying to invest now in e-commerce systems, you know, last mile delivery and everything else. But on the air cargo side, there's this huge demand um, for for aircraft to, to move that. And that's that's kind of propelling the investment going forward in, in more of these converted planes, as well as brand new aircraft from the manufacturers. Yeah, damn, this is not... This has not been your grandparents' pandemic. You know, we, we I mean, many of us got that COVID-19 or 20 added to us. And then we went hog, since we couldn't go out to restaurants, since we couldn't go traveling, couldn't buy a car because of the chip shortage in some places, we went hog wild buying stuff on e-commerce. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just uh, capacity was tightened, which it was. It was also, we had enormous growth in some of the stuff we were buying. So- I want to talk about another thing, which is I want to talk two more things. So first, I want to hear about the some of these ocean carriers are now making a foray into domestic shipping and also buying air freight companies. I want to talk about that, and then I want you to touch on what's happening in the Ukraine. So first, the ocean companies that are made a ton of money during this last uh, go round, and what they're doing with all that cash. Yeah, the. Ocean carriers have, in the last few years, and especially since the pandemic, you know, they, the, the industry's consolidated in the past decade, and they've gotten more disciplined in how they run their business. And so then the pandemic happened, and there was this huge amount of demand. And so they, the profits for the entire industry have been enormous, um, especially for the top players like Maersk and CMA, CGM, and uh Mediterranean shipping company. Is it is it true? To, is it fair to say it's like hundred million, hundred billion dollars more in their pockets? Yeah, the the collectively for the industry, I think the estimate for twenty twenty one is they could make uh, about one hundred ninety to two hundred billion dollars in profit. <laughs> and collectively is the estimate. We're I think we're waiting for the final numbers. And you know, Maersk is is I forget what their profit was last year, but it was huge, maybe twenty billion. And you know, it's like as much profit in one year as you know the previous several years so and and we were worried not so long ago that they weren't profitable enough and to your point they got there was a consolidation and they got more disciplined and then there was this massive demand where they really could price for it and so they're taking some of those uh those profits and investing elsewhere so where are they investing yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, they're investing in a, in a bunch of different areas. Uh, some of these players have been doing it for a, a few years, but it's it started to accelerate, you know, during the pandemic. So, for instance, you have you know Maersk has a big logistics arm, but last year they they purchased a 
Lung, Lee and Fung, which is a big sourcing company in China, uh, in Hong Kong. They bought that subsidiary for $3.6 billion. They bought, they bought a German air freight forwarding specialist called Senator. They bought some e-commerce uh, companies or e-commerce platforms, logistics companies, and recently made a, an offer or a buying uh, pilot freight services in the That's US. a big player. That's domestic. So Yeah, so- it's a domestic last mile kind of a middle mile trucking, mostly trucking company for e-commerce. Are they going to buy some air air, air freight companies? You so that's interesting. Maersk already had an airline called Star Airline, I believe was the name. And and so they they that, that airline's been operating quietly for years, but they they just announced that they were going to they're upping their game now in air freight because they bought this uh, Senator International, which is right. heavy in air freight forwarding, and then they they placed an order. I with Boeing for some for for new uh, Boeing brand new Boeing triple seven freighters to put with their with their airline and they're going to lease some other used planes so that's one thing then you've got CMA CGM which I think is about the third largest uh, right that's a French company right French company two or three years ago they bought a huge logistics uh, you know. Uh, contract logistics company called Siva Logistics. So now that's under their brand. Yeah, and and so last. By the year, way, I also I also know they're buying uh, or just invested in uh, Virginia by you, I think, right by Amazon. You know, Amazon has HQ two, Virginia Beach. I think there there's a company called ZBox that they um, are. Charlie Dahoney was on my podcast. He talked about ZBox. It's basically CGM. I think it's the son of the founder said we need to innovate and they created like an incubator and that's right. That's in this, that's right by uh, in your neck of the woods over in Virginia. Yeah. So I think I'm not familiar with that acquisition, but it sounds interesting. That's a, that's a brand new, it's just called Z box. And it sounds like a small technology play of some kind, but I I know I'm pretty sure CMA CGM has their uh, North American or U.S. headquarters in Virginia Beach, Virginia. So they okay. might have uh, that makes sense. got that foothold here. Um, but, you know, they last year made a really interesting play. They started, they bought some used uh, freighter aircraft and they started a, an airline, CMA, CGMA Airline. That's not very catchy. I want them to change their name. I can't ever remember it. <laughs> CMA. Uh, actually, CMA, CMA, CGM Air Cargo, excuse me. And so they... And then, of course, they don't know how to fly planes, right? They're they're not an airline, so they they contracted for a small passenger airline in, called Air Belgium to fly these planes for them. So, you know, they provided the planes, and and you know, Air Belgium provided the crew, the maintenance, you know, the expertise on how to fly them. It's kind of like what Amazon does, right? Amazon's got this huge air freight for the, but they don't, you know, they don't fly the planes. They contract with. With uh, lots, several carriers to, to oh, I didn't know that. I figured them. they. I figured they did that themselves. Well, what all this though speaks to is this is. A, I guess they call this vertical integration, where they say we're going to, we're going to invest upstream of us, and so now they're getting to that order to cash. In the past, they said all we are is are the, the ship that you need uh, to get your stuff from Asia or to Asia or to Europe, and now we're now they're saying. We'll move your freight to the port. We'll fly your stuff to the port. We'll fly your stuff back and forth to Asia. So they're getting to that end to end, which by the way, that's what a lot of, I think, very large companies, I can say this as an automotive guy, you want end to end. And, um, you know, there's that one throat to choke, right? Yeah, I feel like we've gone through, you know, several 
iterations of this where there's been periods where people thought, you know, it's right. good to have the whole supply chain under one umbrella and, and you know, and, and that's the best model. And then others where, you know, people say, well, no one can specialize in everything well. And, you know, right. it's better to, to use multiple players that are special. <laughs> right. So, but I think at the pendulum swinging, especially with capacity so tight, right? If you can control the capacity and then you can give your customer a different option. Hey, this ports are congested, this ports congested, but hey, I can fly it for you on my private airline and I can make those arrangements with my logistics company, you know, that, and then there's higher value in that, right? So you, it's kind of getting into the higher kind of a deeper customer relationship and the higher value type of freight and um, not just being a port to port move. Right. I think uh, time will tell when the market uh, takes a hit, which it very well could with all this uh, Ukraine stuff. And I think to quote Warren Buffett again, he says, uh, uh, when the tide goes out, you find out who is not wearing a bathing suit. And um, <laughs> so when when things get bad again, you go, you know, all those acquisitions didn't seem like such a good idea. Anyway, that brings us to something I really wanted to talk to you about, which is this what's going on in the Ukraine and how is that impacting the air freight market, the air cargo market. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's, it's having um, a fair amount of impact. Um, the, you know, the, the, the first impact is that Russia, I mean, uh, the U.S. and the European, a lot of the European nations banned Russian aircraft from their airspace and their airports. So, you know, total shutdown. And, and then Russia kind of, you know, retaliated and said, you know, you can't come to, you can't come here and you can't fly over our airspace. And that was a big, that's a big blow because for a lot of these European carriers and other care freight companies that, you know, overflying Russia to between Europe and Asia is, is a huge shortcut. I'm, and now that's I remember gone. taking, when I used to take a direct flight from uh, Detroit to Beijing, I think it was the only direct flight. This was pre 9-11. I think it got killed right after 9-11. But we would fly over Russia. So a lot of people who are used to going back and forth to China on the on a direct flight, I don't even know where the direct flights are. It means you can't do it anymore, which means air cargo can't do it anymore. And uh, obviously, we've got a lot of business with China. And I just, I don't know. I'd have to look at the globe, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that impacts a lot of Southeast of Asia and maybe India too. Yeah, India too, potentially. And, you know, Japan, South Korea, any of those flights that, that overfly, you know, now they're having to add, you know, depending on where you're flying from, I mean, from like thin air flies from Helsinki and they fly some of these cargo owned right. jets and passenger jets. That's about a three and a half to four hour, you know, extra time to go around. Right, you got to go. You know, for Lufthansa, it's maybe two and a half, three hours, uh, you know, two to three hours from Frankfurt extra. The folks at uh, Lufthansa Cargo that, you know, who fly freighters as well said that they think that this, um, you know, the extra time that's uh, going to be spent to re to detour Plus the fact that you have to put um, on more fuel generally on the plane to fly longer. So that means you can't carry quite as much cargo. They said it'll be, they think the industry and for themselves, it'll be about a 10% cut in capacity. I've seen some others say it could be a little bit more. In fact, one consultant said in the first week of the, the shutdown that about the equivalent of nine Boeing 747s of capacity was cut from wow. the market just because of those inefficiencies that are now there. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a Russia's Russia's a huge country, and to avoid flying over it is not easy. Exactly. I remember when I was flying one time to China, and there was uh, somebody was sick on the plane, and um, they said there's a doctor attending, but they kept saying we might have to land. And I was asking one of the flight attendants, I was looking at where we were at. I said, where would we stop? And she said, Siberia. And somebody said, is that a real place? I did, I, I've always heard of it. I just thought it was like a fake place that you hear on cartoons, like, you know, exiled to Siberia. And I was like, oh my God, that doesn't seem like a good place to stop at all. <laughs> but thank God we did not have to. So hopefully the but um, anyway, makes me think uh, makes me think about what I talked about earlier when I had uh, Salmonella in, in uh, Jordan and was flying home and I had to get off the plane in, in Vienna, Austria to go to the hospital because the pilot oh. wouldn't fly to New York anymore because I was in such bad shape. So. Vienna is a nice place to be, but not when you get sick. <laughs> exactly. I didn't get to see too much of the city, unfortunately, but yeah, it was my only time there. But um, one, one other thing I would just bring up quickly on the cargo side with Russia is that the you know, that, that closure, there's a couple of big uh, or a big Russian cargo company that flew these uh, supersized uh, freighters, these Antonov AN-124 freighters, and, you know, where you could put a lot of the specialized huge equipment on there, like generators. And so they're basically knocked out of the most of the market now. And then there was an, a Ukrainian company called Antonov Airlines that had some of these giant airplanes as well. And, and they're mostly not operating either and so that was that's where a lot of the i think one of them got blown up right so that's interesting the antonov airlines had these an-124s was their the core of their fleet of about seven of them these are bigger than a 747 they just have they can they get they have ramps on the front and the back of the planes to load they have they're called like they're like kneeling buses or like kneeling planes they have these these landing gear that can kind of you know, lower and bend so you can load more easily. So they're fascinating works of art from the Soviet uh, military era. But um, anyway, but Antonov Airlines had this one, the only one of this plane in the world is the largest commercial uh, freighter in the world. It was the AN-225, which was nicknamed Maria in Ukrainian, which means the dream. And it was undergoing maintenance in Kyiv when the war broke out and they couldn't relocate it to another com- country. And, you know, we found out that and seen pictures now that the, the Russians got destroyed in, in artillery or, or some of the firefighting at the, that airport. So that plane is, is no longer. And so uh, a lot of aviation enthusiasts are sad. Another of many casualties of war. One of the things that... Um... Just before I got on the line with you, I was talking to a friend who I trust very much on this on these things. He's been saying that the, because of COVID and some challenges that they've we've had in a lot of different places, including China and now in Russia and Ukraine, he says we're going to have potentially famines in parts of the world. And Ukraine is the breadbasket of that region. And I think Russia today announced that they won't be shipping grain. I think... Uh, Egypt. I don't know how much grain they make, but they said, hey, we aren't going to export any grain. So the countries that are traditionally exporting might not be exporting. So it's going to have another impact on these on on the freight. But it, it sounds kind of trivial to talk about the impact on freight when there could very well be famines. I mean, we're really, we are in for a wild ride here. <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. No, this is totally uh, upsetting the apple cart on, on the whole global trading system. Well, we've gone all over the place. I really do appreciate you taking us through this. So I'm going to summarize a little bit of this the best I can, and I want to get your final thoughts on this topic. So we're talking about the air freight market with my friend Eric Kulish. And so we talked about all the different kinds of planes and all the different kind of players, which I did not realize there were so many variations of planes that move stuff. Then we talked about 30%, 33% of the value of global trade and only 1% of the volume moves on by air freight, which is kind of shocking. I mean, this just speaks to what's moving. Very expensive, relatively small stuff in general. Your mobile phones, medicines, vaccines. And then we talked about expediting, why that was so important. You know, all the time it's important with planes. But, uh, you know, we had this convoy that jammed up our bridge here between U.S. and Canada. They expedited. We're going to see all sorts of expediting as a result of all these supply chain disruptions. That's continuing. The the pandemic and the port situation, we don't need to go over that. But it drove a lot of volume towards the air freight guys. Us buying like crazy via e-commerce drove even more stuff to the air freight guys. We talked a lot about this vertical integration that Eric's probably writing about. And then in five or 10 years, he'll talk about how they're selling all those assets off <laughs> going the other way. And last but not least, we talked about what's going on in the Ukraine and just how disruptive that's going to be to not only commerce, but obviously the freight markets. I mean, the air freight markets. So yeah, crazy times. But anyway, final thoughts on that wild topic. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, you know, I think I, my final thoughts are just that, you know, COVID disrupted how we, how supply chains work and this whole idea of just-in-time inventory has been, re, everyone's rethinking, do we need more just-in-case inventory? And, and and we still have all these, you know, disruptions in high demand because in addition to the, the purchases, you know, companies are still trying to build up those inventories and then maybe have some extra so they don't get caught short again. And now we have the Ukraine situation blowing up. So now, you know, people are relooking at supply chains again in a whole new different way. And, you know, will, will, will the global trading system be kind of totally disrupted? And, and will parts of the world, you know, now be kind of off limits to trading and, and, you know, will we only be able to trade or ship things through, you know, two thirds of the world or, or, you know, and so will that, you know, there's potential for more nearshoring and, and, you know, domestic production. And so that's going to change how supply chains work. And then, and then, you know, all the inflation that's coming with the oil uh, price of the increase in oil prices and the all these oil the shipment embargoes prices are going up so that could impact consumer demand going forward or it could also lead to higher inventories or people holding inventories longer because the goods are the goods are valuable for longer because of inflation so now you know you don't you maybe you can hold them in inventory a little longer and still sell them yeah, these are these are wild times, and and you know you mentioned I I think like McDonald's closed all of their stores in Russia, and I think they're still paying the employees, which is a nice gesture. But what's wild is you think about all the stuff that would we would air freight there or ocean freight there or just the the, the commerce in general. You know the who you might have said one third of my business is no longer here because of what's happened. Yeah, and it's it's it's. I don't think this is going to end 
anytime soon. So we are in for a little bit of a wild ride. And again, I think the brunt of, I shouldn't say the brunt of it, but a lot of the this air freight was almost like the uh, backup. That was the backup plan for a lot of people. And uh, it's, it's, don't be surprised if the one thing that booms uh, during this crazy time is air freight. Good point. Yep, for sure. Anyway, Eric, before you go, what's new over at Freightwaves? I know there's always something new. So I know you guys have some conferences coming up, but also what are you writing about these days? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm writing about everything I you can imagine relating to the Ukraine situation, uh, the Biden administration today, you know, types of things that might go on planes like vodka or caviar now being banned from importation. Oh my God, where will it end? Come on, guys. <laughs> so, and, and export bans of luxury goods. So just the whole, you know, ripple effects from Ukraine, but also trying to cover, you know, what's happening with the the, the rate, the, the cargo rates and, you know, the airline industry players and what they're doing and, and then at FreightWaves, you know, like you said, we've got conferences coming up, the Future of Supply Chain Conference. When is that? That's um, in first part of May. So that should be fascinating. Then we've got we've got a new product called Track out that, um, you know, I think cover, deals with more analyzing and getting quick information on trucking spot rates. So there's always oh, nice. something. And, uh, and then, as you mentioned, uh, Tim Dooner's got his... Uh, new uh, website and show coming out uh, called Back the, Back, Back the Truck Up or something. Back the Truck Up. And it's an extension of What the Truck, which has been a real popular franchise over there. And he's exactly. going to, uh, that's going to be, he's just on the podcast. I'll put a link to that podcast. If you guys haven't listened, please do. And I think what, I, what was interesting is it's really um, trying to be the barstool sports of freight without the inappropriateness. I know I don't want anyone saying, well, they did something wrong. But it's the idea that, you know, TikTok culture is, you know, it's part of our business now. People love memes. They love TikTok. They love Instagram. These are things that traditionally we didn't bring to work, but they're important. And, you know, there's a lot of good stuff happening in the transportation logistics business in these, I'm saying TikTok. A lot of people are learning. It's moving the stock market. I mean, we, things are, uh, the world has changed real rapidly here. Yeah. I mean, most, uh, main, most, People in America or around the world, you know, the average person didn't pay any mind to how something got to their store shelves. And now, you know, supply chain is uh, since the pandemic uh, and these disruptions and in inflation. Now, it's you know, everyone's like wondering, you know, where are those ships and where's my stuff? And everyone's a supply chain expert. So, you know, freight waves has become, you know, hugely more relevant and and a go-to source for information in these volatile times because, uh, you know, everyone's interested in it and it's, you know, not just the insiders anymore. Well, it's funny when you watch, you know, when you watch some of the business news shows, it's not surprising anymore. You go, oh, there's Craig Fuller. There's Jet McCandless. There's, uh, what's the guy from Flexport? I forgot the founder's name. Oh, Ryan Peterson. Yeah, Ryan Peterson. You're like, how did they, like, they're one of us. They don't belong over there, but they right. do belong over there. Exactly. We, we made it to the big leagues. Maybe we didn't want to get there this way, but we made it. There you go. Anyway, Eric, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It was This is really insightful. I mean, it's stuff that I don't think all of us think about. Anytime, Joe. My pleasure. Yep. Thank you. And uh, thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast 
where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.